Have a seat. Okay, we are trying this microphone thing with, with the old-fashioned microphone since the other one has been messing up. And as you continually remind me, I have a tendency to kick into a conspiratorial tone and whisper certain times, and that's not good for everyone to be able to hear. Um, so, that's uh, sounding good. Why did it not do that earlier? I was literally walking in circles around, and just walking in circles, not making a, a sound like that at all. It was all perfect, and I sit down. Apparently, the microphone does not want me to sit down. That's what it is. Did you not just hear it just a second ago? Okay, yeah. So, I'm used to it. <laughs> well, we'll see. So, we may be getting a new microphone uh, soon. Um, Anyhow, we usually go through a book of, of the Bible at a time. Right now we're going through Malachi. Last week was the introduction to Malachi. And uh, if you want to hear more about that, uh, you can go on the website. It is not up yet, but tomorrow the uh, sermon from last week should be up. And um, today we're going to focus on the first five verses. So what I encourage you to do is learn, uh, look in your Bibles to the first chapter of Malachi. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. So find the New Testament, go to the left. Don't worry, that's great. Okay, we like babies. Babies are really, really good. You just rolled your eyes like, oh, no, babies are good. We like babies. So, um, I know, by pointing it out, that makes it even worse, doesn't it? I should just shut up. <laughs> Forget what I just did. Uh, so, find the New Testament, turn to the left. Malachi's really small. It's four chapters long. Or if you're reading in Hebrew, it's only three chapters. It's shorter that way. What I encourage you to do each week is actually just to read through the whole thing. So, what it says, that's going to drive me nuts. Will, if you'll operate that for me. Thank you, sir. A prophecy. The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask... How have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the, to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild uh, the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish they will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of God. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. So, let's talk a little bit. Because there are certain passages of Scripture that I absolutely love to talk about. And there are certain passages of Scripture that I, I don't enjoy talking about. Uh, that, for me, is part of the fact that I know it comes from God. Because if I liked every part of it, it probably would come from me. I, I mean, I love uh, all of you in the room, but there are things you say that I don't agree with, so why would I agree with an omnipotent God all the time? He's the one who needs to change me rather than me trying to make Him into my image. If you ever find a God that you, you go, wow, I agree with that God 100%, well, that God probably is shaped by you. Uh, you. You see again and again in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, God will say something, and those who are following Him closest so, so many times will respond with, no, 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 that's not the way it is. This passage is one of those. Because it sounds like God is saying, I love this person and I hate this person. 
Matter of fact, it's almost as though God is saying, here's how you know I love you. I hate them. It'd be like if, if Pam came up and said, how do I know you love, you, love me? And I said, well, I hate Pete. <laughs> Not really, Pete. I love you, Pete. I, I, hate, I hate Eric. There. <laughs> but it's almost like that. contradicts but in a way that has slightly different meaning should i just go ahead and kill this okay Uh, remind me to speak loud we're going to figure this microphone issue out guys soon i promise it comes from the story right here uh, which is the story of jacob and esau now if you don't know the story you can actually turn uh right here and i'll go back so you can see the comic just in case you didn't see it because i know you like the comics give me a small chuckle when you've read it But basically the story is this. There are two brothers that are born, and one of them is red and hairy and strong and a hunter and athletic and all that other stuff, and the other is smooth and small and and artistic and, and yada yada. One of them is the eldest, and just barely the eldest, but is the eldest, and therefore as the eldest should get at least a double portion of his father's inheritance. Should, should be the one whose family uh, carries on the name. And, and, and that eldest child matters a whole lot at that time. It doesn't matter as much now. Uh, when I die, hopefully that's not soon, but when I die, I'm not going to take my, uh, my possessions and go, Adam, you're my oldest son, you get two-thirds of everything, and Noah, you're the youngest son, you get one-third. I'm not going to do that. Uh, even though we do joke that we have an heir and a spare, that... <laughs> That's not the way we live anymore. But at that time, the eldest surviving son was where all the family wealth went, basically. And that's not that long ago that that continued. If you read about the Middle Ages, uh, what you'll find is that, you know, Eric's and and Natalie's eldest, we're going to say son, even though we have a daughter at this point, and she's wonderful and she's terrific even though she stayed up last night. Uh, she's still wonderful and she's terrific. But at that time, she probably wouldn't inherit. When you had a son, your eldest son would inherit. And the kingdom of Glaze would go through the eldest son just as it went from, from Eric's dad to Eric. And Jody was left out because she's the female. And in the Middle Ages, that doesn't count. And then if you had another son... Well, what you would do is you would go, I hope the oldest son survives, but if the oldest son doesn't survive, we're okay, we've got a second son. And when that oldest son survived, the second son would go and do something else. If you look, most of the monasteries were, were full of second sons. They were full of people who didn't get the blessing. They were full of people who didn't get the inheritance. And the story of Jacob and Esau is a changing of that. Esau is the one who should have received the blessing. He's the biggest, he's the strongest, he's the oldest. But if you read the story, who gets the blessing? Who gets the inheritance? Jacob. And so Scripture takes this story and uses it as a reference to point to two people that are loved, but one is described as being hated. Jacob was loved, but Esau was not hated by his parents. He was not hated by God. He wasn't chosen. 
You'll see it again and again in Scripture. You'll see where love is, is referred to with hate as hate meaning love less. Here's one example. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. He worked for Laban another seven years. That's the story of Jacob getting his two wives at that point. He didn't hate Leah. He loved her less. Rachel was the one he loved the most. Leah was the one he loved less. And you'll see it over and over again. Where so often in Scripture, hate can mean loved less. This is covenantal language. It means chosen and not chosen. God is is saying to Israel, you can know I've loved you because of the way I've been faithful to our covenant. We're going to talk about that. So, covenants. For some of us in the room, when you hear covenant, you think of this. For some of us in the room, when you see a photo like that, you think, what in the world's gone wrong with this church? And why is that image up there? This is from Halo, Halo from one of the best Xbox games. Possibly, originally, the only reason to own an Xbox. Covenant does not mean that. Instead, it means a promise. And it's more than just like, oh, I promise I'm going to do this. A covenant happens in a lot of different ways. It was an ancient Near Eastern promise, a pact together, and it was not just specifically a religious promise. Covenants happened all the time in, in between nations. You had different ways of doing them. You had a covenant that would happen between the powerful and the unpowerful. You had a covenant that would happen between two people who were equally yoked together, is the way Scripture would refer to it. Two people who came together and there wasn't one that was powerful and one that was weak. They were done lots of different ways. Governments did them together. Kings did them together. Families did them together. It was a promise. The, the one in Scripture that is best known is the Abrahamic covenant. Where... God comes to Abraham and he basically says, you're chosen. You are chosen. I will make you a great people. He literally says, your sons will be as the sands of the uh, the beach, of the ocean. Your, Your sons will be as the stars of the sky. You will not be able to count their number, which was this amazing thing because Abraham was an old man and he was childless. The covenant is this promise. It is this choosing that happens. And the language that we're reading here about love and hate, it's covenantal language, not emotional language. See, if I say I hate you or I hate something else, that is emotional language for us. We don't respond in in covenantal language. If I say I I love Drew, but I'm going to just pick on Eric today because it's fun, but I hate Eric, I'm, I'm talking usually emotionally. But if it was covenant, what I'm meaning is, I've chosen Drew, and I have not chosen Eric. I've made my choice with Drew. I will work with him. I will fulfill my covenant with him, but not with Eric at all. Now, if you remember, we were talking about uh, what was going on in Edom, excuse me, in Israel at this time, and, and how would in the world, excuse me, love and hate fit in with this. We'll talk about this in just a second. If you remember the history from last week, we're at a time period that's probably about 470 B.C. right now. Malachi is preaching to a people who've come back to the promised land out of captivity. They've come back to the promised land and they're expecting the temple to be built in such a way that it's glorious. And the only way they can think of that it will be better than the original one is if the Messiah comes back right then and there. So they, they build the temple again. It's the second temple and they just expect basically for Israel to go from being in captivity 
to being the greatest nation on the face of the planet. And when that doesn't happen, they respond by going, God doesn't love us. He doesn't love us because it hasn't gone the way we want. So let's look a little bit at what's going on here geographically. So often we forget the Bible is a historical document. We have a historical faith. Our history matters. Our geography matters. So often we read the Bible as though it has no geographic context. But the events that were taking place in Scripture happened in a specific region where they had specific food, specific ways of doing things, and we forget about that so often. If you were to go down south and somebody would say, Hey, um, I want some, some fast food, and I want it to be good, and I, I want it to be served clean, most of the people around there would immediately say, Well, the Chick-fil-A is about a block down the street. Now, unfortunately, we live in the north. That doesn't sound right, does it? Um, thankfully, we live in the north, but unfortunately, Chick-fil-A has not made it up here. That doesn't work contextually. If I said, where's the closest Chick-fil-A? Some of you would say, well, it's in Racine, which is where the closest and only Chick-fil-A in the state of Wisconsin is. Though that is about to change because there's a, going to be a Chick-fil-A built in Madison. If you can't tell, I like Chick-fil-A a lot. <laughs> Are you agreeing with me or are you saying, okay, yeah. I'm very excited about it being in Madison. But we have a context here. If I were to say, hey, I need some fast food for traveling, but I want it to be clean. I want the service to be really good. Uh, I want the food to taste really good also. And I need it to be served fast, but not something that's just been you know, made for an hour and sat under a hot plate uh, or a hot lamp. Where would you send me? Yeah. Instantly. See, there's a context there. We have a context that's going on here. That context happens here in the ancient Near East. This is a little before Malachi's time, about 70 years before. But the same map basically works. You have a region right here that is surrounded by two great powers. And those two great powers are fighting each other nonstop. You have Assyria that will soon then become uh, the Persian Empire up here. You have Egypt down here. And they like to fight right there. Look at the, the names of the peoples that are in that, that area. How many of them do you, do you see that you go, oh, those, those still exist? Not a lot. Philistines were, were one of the, the biggest enemies of the people of Israel. Philistines? You don't really hear them anymore. Amorites. Pretty big enemy for, for the people of Israel. You don't really hear them anymore. See, what had happened was you had these battles going on and, and Israel was brought back out of exile. They were brought back from around this region right here. Out of exile. Brought back into Egypt and they were allowed to build the temple again and they were ticked off because they weren't the biggest, most powerful nation in the world which is what they expected God to do. But God was keeping them safe while the rest of the nations were slowly fading away. Edom, which is right here, was, was an enemy of Israel that actually helped take all the possessions out of the temple in Jerusalem. When the first temple was sacked, Edom was one of the people who said, oh, don't worry, we'll help with that. We'll help you do that. We'll help you get, defeat the most sacred part of our enemy." We will help you destroy Jerusalem. And Edom did that. But Edom wasn't chosen. 
Edom thought they were going to come back and they were going to be the biggest, most powerful nation there. And instead, what happens? Within about 100 years, Edom does not exist as a nation anymore. Within about 250 years, they do not exist as a people anymore. See, Israel was doing... I know I've said this before. Some of you have heard it. Some of you haven't. I think 8th grade girls are about as close to Satan incarnate as you can get on the face of the planet. One of the reasons I, I think that is because as a youth minister for 20 years, moms would come and say, my daughter hates me, and I could pretty much always go, she's in 8th grade, isn't she? Um, don't worry, guys. It was usually around 10th grade. It was something about driving that, that drove guys nuts. Uh, but it was usually a shorter time period. And 8th grade girls would fight a lot. You don't love me. Why don't you love me? Because you bought me the wrong type of jeans. Apparently she agrees. <laughs> That's a little early. <laughs> you don't love me. Why don't you love me? Because I have the wrong phone. See, it's so easy. To go from looking at your present situation and going, wow, my needs are really being met. Wow, I'm being taken care of. And instead go, but I'm not being taken care of in the right fashion. Wow. Scripture describes this story where Samuel puts up a stone. We're going to sing about it actually in a little bit. Where did we? Is that, oh, that was coming down now. Yeah. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Uh, it's actually, it's a stone, which means stone of helping. It's also a city, Ebenezer. It, and in this story, Samuel says, I'm putting this stone up so every time you look at it and every time your children look at it, you will think to yourself, the Lord has brought us thus far. And that language is very important. The Lord has brought us thus far. What does the fact that it says thus far imply? Yeah, you're still going. He's brought us thus far, so therefore we can trust that he will bring us further still. See, what so often happens is we allow our present to define our past and our future. Circumstances stink right now. Oh, my past was so terrible, and my future will just get worse. But what, was, what God was saying over and over again is that our, our past and our future should define our present. Here's what I mean by this. If you think of what you know of Judaism, you probably know one ritual. You may know more than that, but you probably know one ritual in particular. You might know two. You might know the Sabbath. But you probably know a meal they do. That meal is? Not that one. Never heard of that one. <laughs> but... Joel, okay, Passover, yes. Passover, it is a meal of remembering an act of salvation. It is a meal of remembering where God brought them out of slavery. And they do it again and again and again. I've mentioned to many of you before that I had actually gone to Hebrew school more often than Sunday school uh, by the time I was 17. And, and I had friends who were Jewish who got tired of matzah. And during Passover week, they would give me matzah bread turkey sandwiches, which are amazing. <laughs> Absolutely love them. Um, and, and they would always be doing this meal to remember, this is what God's done in the past. 
whole reason you remember this is what God's done in the past is so that you can remember the promises he's made for the future and it can affect your present. So often, we allow our present to define what God's done in the past in our opinion. We act like that eighth grade girl. Oh, you bought me the wrong cell phone right now. Therefore, you never loved me. We act like that. All right, I'm just going to be an equal opportunity picker on her. Uh, we act like that 10th grade guy who doesn't care about the cell phone, but might. But, you know, you, Dad, you didn't let me go out and do this. Therefore, you never loved me at all. We, we allow our present where maybe things are going bad. Maybe you're tired because you're not getting enough sleep. Maybe you're in a situation where your boss is driving you nuts. Maybe you're in a career where you're like, this is not what I, do, what I want to do with my life. Maybe you're in debt and can't figure out how to get out of it. Maybe you, you're dealing with somebody who just enjoys picking on you. So often, we allow our present to reflect on to what God has done in the past and what He's done in the future. We forget what He's done in the past should actually determine our present right now. See, God is a God of remembering over and over and over and over again. If you read the whole Bible, which I would encourage you to do, and we will do again the small groups we've done in the past where you read through the entire New Testament in eight weeks, we'll do that again this summer. Uh, but one of the beauties of it is it's really repetitive. So often people are like, you know, I don't want to read the Bible because I don't understand it. It's pretty easy to understand when you begin to realize they say it's the same story over and over and over and over and over again. You read the book of Acts and almost every sermon they preach is Jesus did this, he did this, he did this, he did this, we forgot about that. That's almost every sermon. You read the Old Testament and it's I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of and just going through the story over and over again. They repeat it to remember this is what he's done in the past. This is what he's going to do in the future. I'm going to give you one example of this, but you can find these all over the place. If you look online for a list of God's promises, uh, you can find them very simple. I've given them out to you uh, before. I was actually going to do that this weekend. I just didn't print it. But here's one. One of the things he promises is this. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Most of you know that I'm a chaplain and I go visit people. And, and this weekend I went and visited a, a lady who was bleeding in her brain. And she talked about her faith in God. This is what he's done for me in the past. This is how I know he can, I can trust him now. They don't know what's happening with her. They, they don't know how to solve it. But what she says is, God is with me. See, he promises again and again, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I will give you power when you think you have none. When you're at that point and you don't know what to say and somebody's asking you for an answer, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak. He promises these things over and over again. He's proved it in the past. He promises this for the future. We should remember it in our present. So, before I end and talk about what I hope we can do with this this week. Does anybody have anything that needs to be added? And here. Israel said, how do you love us? How do you love us? 
when, when we were expecting to be the greatest nation on the face of the planet when we came back, and we're not the greatest nation on the face of the planet. And God responds with, Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. Look around. Don't you see, Israel, that I have sustained you here? Israel still exists. The people of Israel are all over the world. The nation of Israel exists again and has since 1946. No, 1948. Um, the nation of Israel still exists. Edom doesn't. The Philistines don't. Tyre doesn't. We have historical cities that are there. We do not have the people anymore. God said, you are chosen. Choosing them implies there's some that aren't chosen. And God said, I will be faithful to those whom I have chosen. But Israel forgot that. And they began to whine. How have you loved us? And he's saying, remember your past. Remember the future. View your present through those. So the word for what Samuel put up is Ebenezer. Literally stone of helping. Because every now and then we need something that we can look back on and say, God has brought me thus far. And the beauty of us being a Christian community, the beauty of us being a community of faith is, I don't have to just look back at what he's done in my past. I get to look back and see what he's done in your past. If I like your story better, I can just claim it. It's the same God. He did this for Jan. Therefore, he'll do something for me too. See, we have all of these Ebenezer's. So many of us in the room can tell stories of where we say, God said, I would be there for you in the midst of a terrible circumstance. And guess what? He was there for me in the midst of a terrible circumstance. And we can tell that to each other so that we then know that he will be for, there with us in the presence, in the present situation where it's a terrible circumstance. He promised that he would be there and he is there. He promised that he would be enough and he was enough. He promised that he would give me strength and he is enough. We need to have these stories in our lives that serve as Ebenezer so we can say, I don't know what's going on right now. Right now it stinks. I thought that it would be much greater than this and it's not. But this is what I know. Thus far had God brought me. Thus far. He brought me from where I was. He brought me from slavery. He brought me from being insecure. He brought me from being needy. He brought me from having no strength. He brought me in my weakness. He brought me in all of this and He will bring me to the fulfillment of what He has for me. He will make me into the person that He wants me to be. He will keep His promises until He comes and all of His promises are fulfilled. I don't know what that Ebenezer is for you. I don't, I don't know what that story is. But I would encourage you to write it out. To, to tell other people so they can, do, can, can hear it also. So that when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, not even the valley of death, but just the valley of the shadow of death, we can look back and say, my past is about a God who is big and strong and more than enough. And he speaks of a future that is about being fulfilled and, and holy and perfect. So it really doesn't matter what my present circumstances are. I can trust in the God of my past and the God of my future. To take care of me in my present. I hope you know that.
I hope you know a God who's big enough. I hope you know a God whose who's past and future are great and mighty. And if you don't, there's some of us in this room who would love to introduce you to one. Because my God is big enough. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father, remind us of what you've done in the past. Remind us of what you will do in the future. Help us to believe it in the present. I pray this in the name of of the one who has shown us your love. Because it is through him that you choose us. Amen. Let's sing together.